guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. Welcome to Mimosa Sisterhood, a podcast that celebrates women. Hello, beautiful friends, and happy new year. Welcome back to Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. This is your host, Melissa, and I am so happy that you are back for the first episode of 2022. I am so excited to kick this year off with an amazing bang of an episode, which is featuring an everyday woman with an absolutely inspirational life story and one that will 1000% motivate the fuck out of you. If you're new here, welcome to the party of the century. I hope you have an alcoholic beverage handy because this is the motherfucking sisterhood and we are here to party and celebrate women's stories. So... If that sounds like your cup of tea, then you ended up in the right place, my dear. And I am so happy you're here, and I hope you stay here forever. We are a women's history and lifestyle podcast. Sometimes we tell stories about the world's greatest women from history, and other times we interview the everyday woman with an inspirational life story. In today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down and chatting with April Diaz. She is the founder of her own business called Azer & Co., which is primarily a coaching business that's focused on empowering women to live and lead their lives with wholeness. April is an absolute warrior woman, and her entire mission is to help support other warrior women out there in the world. And I'm talking about you, honey. If you've been needing a little extra boost in your life, a little oomph, a little fire, April is your girl. She has quite possibly the best mindset I've ever witnessed, heard, experienced in my life. Like, oh my God, if you need an extra kick in the ass to get the gears moving for 2022, this is your woman. And I am so excited that I get to introduce you to her and that you get to hear her story today because it wasn't always easy peasy for April. She grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian family, and as a child, she didn't really fit in to that lifestyle, especially in terms of gender roles and stereotypes for women in fundamentalist Christian families. I'm sure you get the drift. But April heard her calling. She knew there was a fire deep within her soul, a passion that was burning and flaming and had so much potential to make so much great change in the world. And she never stopped moving forward or keeping her eye on her North Star. This is a good episode, you guys, and I cannot wait for you to hear it and to learn more about April Diaz before we get into it. Don't forget, we have a super cute, super comfy, absolutely drop-dead gorgeous new pullover hoodie in the podcast shop on my website, 
mimosasisterhood.com, $32, and it features our brand new podcast illustration, which I'm absolutely in love with. And I am not lying when I tell you that I live in it every day of the week. It's honestly pure devastation when I finally have to give up a day to wash it while doing my laundry. So if you are looking for your new cozy, cute winter sweatshirt, Head over to the pod shop and check it out. I have absolutely no doubt you will love it. And if you do get one, please be sure to take some super cute pictures of yourself. Post them on Instagram. Tag ya girl because I want to see all of you guys repping the cutest wherever. And I would love to repost your pictures on the page. Other than that, you know the drill. If you haven't left us a five-star rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to do that. We are getting closer and closer to 100 reviews, and I would absolutely love to hit that milestone this year. So if you haven't yet, swing over to Apple Podcasts and do your girl a little favor. All right. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. I really hope you enjoy this episode, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you that tuned in today to listen. Now's the time to grab that boozy beverage, and let's get ready to party! April Diaz. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here this morning. So good to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Of course. So I am super excited because just like my last Everyday Woman series episode that I put out a couple, I don't know, I guess it was like last month, I found you through Voyage LA, which I was Mm -hmm. like telling all the listeners about my last episode, a really cool online platform that features hidden gems is what they call us, I think, um, out here in the LA area. And that's where I found you. I came across your interview on that platform. I was absolutely fascinated by your story and like where you came from, what your life's been like and where you're at today. And I thought it was just something that would be so inspirational for all of our listeners. And couldn't wait to talk to you. So thank you so much for squeezing me yeah. in this Wednesday morning. <laughs> we are in the week between Christmas and New Year's, and it is it is like the nothing week and the everything week, and I'm so grateful to be sitting on my bed having a conversation with you. Exactly. I It's a rare moment that i am got the mic plugged on on a 10 o'clock on a Wednesday yeah. morning, <laughs> but like you said, it, it, this is the week where no one's doing anything. Like, it's the strange last week of it's the like year. It's like a time warp week. It's the weirdest, like, like, what's happening? What day is it? No. Yeah, it, it's like we're days away from 2022, so people are just, like, in a holding cell, just mm. like, we can't get yeah. anything done or do anything. So here I am in the middle of my work day, and... I like it. I wish that it's, I feel like this is like the beginning of my manifestations of just working podcasting full time. Like this I is what it. it would feel like. So it's a I'm here for 2022 it. for you. More <laughs> right. of it. I'm here. Cool. Well, I always like to let the listeners or I'm sorry, the guests just give a quick little summary uh, to the audience about who you are, where you live, what you're doing, um, just to give them a kind of like a quick little taste of what we're going to be talking about today. Awesome. Uh, So my name is April Diaz. I am 42 years old. 
Uh, we live in Orange County, California, Irvine specifically. So 20 minutes from the beach, you know, 20 minutes from the airport. The foothills are right behind my house here. And so there's lots of snow that's starting to roll in. It's been crazy last couple of weeks with all of the weather. Um, I married my high school sweetheart when I was 21 years old. I was just a baby and I don't know who let us get married, but we've now been married 20 years and he's literally my favorite person on the planet. I adore him. He is, I call him my freaking Puerto Rican because he's just like, he's super hot for one. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to lie about that, but he's, he's just my best friend. He's amazing. And we've got three kids. Oh my gosh, we have two middle schoolers, which feels wild. And I certainly don't feel old enough to have that going on in my house. But uh, yeah, we've got a 13-year-old, 11, 9-year-old. And um, we'll go into a little bit of that story later. But my whole family is kind of a, a wild, beautiful story in and of itself. And I'm a coach. I'm a business owner. And I'm kind of just this wild woman. I, I don't know what boxes I necessarily fit in other than those roles that I just described. But um yeah it's been now that i'm in my 40s i feel like i'm coming into my own in a way that i have never experienced before and so like you said 2022 is a few days away and i feel like there's another like breakthrough that is happening for me so that's a little bit about me that's cool i so lucky that you met your person like right off the bat and it's just been smooth sailing like since like oh i didn't say that part girl <laughs> i mean well, you We've still been like, like him. A oh, <laughs> so, so much. We met when we were 17 years old. So we really feel like we've grown up together. But we've been through some shit. Let's be real. Totally. I just think about like today's generation where, you know, we live in this world where we're swiping left and right yeah, and like yeah. no to that person, yes to that person. And then you're like, okay, but I only like them for 10 minutes until this new person comes in. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. it's a rough world out here for dating today. No, I've made him promise me that I die first because <laughs> if I have to re-enter the world of dating, right. I I don't know how that works. It just seems like such a hot mess. And so props yeah. and much love to you for that world. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy to think about. I actually didn't realize you were in the Orange County area. I think I thought yeah. you were in the LA area because I feel like the it's Voyage LA. Yeah. Totally. Um, but yeah, I probably did find you in the Orange County bubble of that magazine. Um, that's so cool. I actually uh, grew up in the Orange County area as well. I went to high school in Santa Ana and I actually worked uh, in Irvine for like five years. Uh, well, offline, we'll have to share our swap stories there because I think we probably have a lot of shared experiences there. That's cool. Yeah. So cool. Well, thank you again. So I feel like I just want to like dive into this and... We heard all about how you're thriving and living your best life right now at in your 40s, which I love. I was also going to make a comment about that. I like I feel like that makes me very excited to hear because I'm in my mid 30s. I'm getting up there and I feel like so many women like dread that mm -mm. thought of like getting older and aging mm -mm. and then like we we're on this weird like uh time clock of like oh my god marriage yeah. children and then like there's this yeah. like anxiety of your 30s of like i'm not there yet or i haven't figured it out yet and the time's ticking what do we do and mm. so to think about your 40s as this period where like probably everything's sorted out for the most part by that point in time or you know kind of like where you're landing in life and so you can kind of just like settle in it and like be of it and I love thinking about that because I do feel like there's a lot of stress in the 30s but to hear from your perspective mm. that the 40s are looking 
much better, that gives me hope. <laughs> Good. I unequivocally believe that the best is always yet to come. And there is something really beautiful and powerful about aging. Like what a gift to mm -hmm. grow older. Like what a gift to have another year of life. What a gift to be able to say I'm 42, you know, like a lot of people don't get that same gift. So totally rock it. Totally. No, nothing to fear there. Well, let's go back in time and talk a little bit about where life started for you because you weren't 40 when it began. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I say all the time, your whole story matters. Uh -huh. And I love that you want to go back to the beginning. And um, so I was born in central Illinois in a farming community. Uh, my grandpa was a farmer. My other grandpa worked for a car dealership. Um, my dad, we lived on a farm. Um, my dad owned a landscaping business. So very small town, Midwestern Americana. Um, and I, we lived in central Illinois until I was about eight years old. And then we moved to Dallas, Texas. My dad had sold his business and ended up going into seminary, uh, to get a theological degree because he felt like he was supposed to be a pastor. And it was very traumatic for me because all of our extended family, both sides, lived in this small town in central Illinois, like 16,000 people, Melissa, mm -hmm. like tiny, like everyone knew everyone. Like my parents grew up together kind of mm -hmm. deal. Like it was, it was a thing. And so moving from that what felt like a prodigal experience, like we were leaving behind everybody that we knew and loved. And it was really hard for me because I had imagined like growing up there, you know, but that move when I was eight years old was like probably the first major pattern interruption for me where I could see something beyond what my experience had been thus far. And I was only eight. I was little. Um, but it opened up a worldview for me. It opened up possibility for me in a way that I'm forever grateful. And so we lived there for a few years. We moved back to central Illinois for a year um, while my dad was trying to figure out what he was going to do with his life. And then we ended up moving to Indiana and my dad started a church in central, well, in northern Indiana, actually. And so I lived uh, in Indiana for about five years before I graduated. But it was the growing up years were a little, um, oh gosh, there's a lot of words that I could use to describe childhood. It, I felt very safe very loved, very protected. And I also felt suffocated. And I felt like I did not fit, or I did not belong anywhere. And a lot of that was because of um, the faith that my parents were a part of, and how they experienced God or how they understood God probably is the better way to describe that. And a lot of that felt very different from who I was and mm -hmm. from who I felt like I was supposed to be. Like, again, just a lot of square peg, round hole, didn't know where I belonged, didn't know how I fit, but felt like the journey and I felt more committed to becoming who I was created to be mm -hmm. versus going with the flow of what everyone else was telling me I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do with my life. So I'm curious, when your dad made that choice to become a pastor and kind of like reroute his life yeah. and career path, yeah. was that like a surprise to your mom or like was your family already pretty religious as it was? So it kind of just like it was an organic transition or was it kind of like a 360 like, wait, what? <laughs> like You're going to become a pastor? Like where did this yeah, come from? <laughs> it was kind of all of that, actually. Okay. Um, so it, I grew up in an extremely fundamentalist 
conservative Christian family. Um, my parents, both sides of my extended family were part of a denomination that's like a hot second outside of the Amish community. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just very, very strict, very, I don't even know if old school is the right word for that, it, but it was a very um, fundamentalist view of God. And mm-hmm. that certainly transitioned into like politics and into the role of like man and woman and family. And so this church that we were a part of, uh, there was no script or narrative for people becoming pastors. Okay. Um, that was not something one did. And so when my dad made that announcement, it was like, what? Like, we have no boxes to put that in. Like, there was no script for, to follow for that. And my dad was actually the first person, at least in their area, that didn't get excommunicated from the church for going to a theological school for more education. Why would you get excommunicated? Uh, because the study of the Bible and the professionalism of that was not something one did. Like every, every leader in the church that they were a part of, like those men, those male pastors, those male, male elders had jobs outside of like leading the church. And so they were like plumbers by day or business owners by day. And then they would like lead the church on the weekends Mm -hmm. and preach. So there's so many, there's so many things (laughs) that, but so it was, it made sense in terms of like, we were already very, very deep in faith, mm-hmm. uh, but it didn't make sense in terms of a career path. Mm-hmm. So it was very discombobulating for my extended family for this to be the pathway that my dad was going to go down. And then my parents ended up leaving that denomination because they started seeing how much of it was uh, really expressive of a cult more than oh, it wow. was of a actual like loving faith community. And that was a pretty huge pattern interruption for my extended family too, because we were the first family on both sides of the extended families to leave this denomination. So, yeah. yeah so it was a it was a lot of both. It was like a it felt like a break from what I had been raised with up until that point, and an entrance into something more. And yet, like even from my perspective today, was still pretty small. I'm curious, like, again, on this excommunication thing with him going, <laughs> I was just had a thought and I was thinking, like, when you described the other pastors as being just like regular dudes that had re- yeah. normal jobs and were yeah. also pastors, I wonder if this, like, idea of somebody else, like, committing their life to, like, a higher education in that field yeah. was, like, an intimidating thing to the uh, regular dudes. hundred percent. Like, was there an ego thing happening where they were like, oh, no, 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 somebody can't be, like, yes. the best of us all? <laughs> yes, and it's all, it was very threatening to the belief systems, right? Because it was like, if somebody's teaching you what these passages mean or the larger cultural context or what was happening historically – with the scripture context and light of the larger context. Mm-hmm. Like if there was more education around that, like a lot of what we're teaching is very threatened yeah. and people could come in and like correct and it could throw out the whole system. Right. So absolutely. It was, it was threatening. It was intimidating. Yeah. And it, it was simply just not the way that they were choosing to do life and choosing to do faith. Yeah. So interesting. I find it all very fascinating. Oh, girl. Um, this could fill multiple podcasts. It's fascinating <laughs> to me. A lot of therapy. A yeah. lot of therapy for me oh, to I process believe it. it all. I believe it. Yeah. So I know you had mentioned a couple of times in your interview how 
you also didn't really fit into this like Mm -hmm. feminine bubble that was the vision for women within this religion and you were more of like a tomboy and Mm -hmm. had like a bigger personality and were vocal and these were kind of like taboo traits Mm -hmm. of what the woman should be in the household I would like love to learn and hear more about that yeah I'm a firstborn um, in my family I have two younger brothers And I think from the time I was probably five, six, seven years old, I knew that I didn't fit the mold. Like to be a girl in that structure, in that context, in that system, you had to be nice and pretty and skinny and submissive. And your life essentially was as a child to learn how to become a wife and a mother. That was the whole vision for what it looked like to become a woman. And that was never a part of my dream scenario. Like Mm -hmm. I thought I wanted to probably be a wife and a mom someday. Cause especially cause I thought like, I really wanted to have sex and like the only way you could have sex was to get married. And so like, I was like, that that seems like a very good choice to make. Um, But it was everything that I felt like I was, I was, like you said, I was a tomboy with sparkly shoes. So I loved all the girl things. Mm -hmm. I loved all of the like, jewelry and makeup and shoes and clothes and all that kind of stuff, which actually most of that wasn't even allowed in the faith context that I was in. Yeah, I was just No makeup, that. no jewelry, <laughs> very simple hair, like dresses, all of that stuff. Um, but I also like love to play out in the barn and get dirty and do things that the boys did. And I didn't fit the script of what a little girl was supposed to be or do in the world. And probably from the time I was about seven or eight, I knew that I was a leader and girls were not leaders in that system. Um, Girls were followers, girls were supporters, girls were helpers and, you know, mothers and wives, like I said. And so there, there was this tension of like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not fitting, you know, like what this is supposed to be. And every time I felt like I wanted to like expand or like was too loud or was too vocal or had too many opinions, there was a little bit of like a, a push down or like a squashing of, like, that's not who we're supposed to be. That's not what we're supposed to do. But the, again, like the the strength and maybe the rebelliousness within me was like, but I, if this is who I am, how is that wrong? Um, and so probably there needs to be some work that's done in order to like be the healthiest version of myself. Mm-hmm. Clearly, I wasn't thinking that specifically as a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but at the core of who I am, how can that be wrong? And so there was, there was just an internal decision I think that I made as a little girl of I'm going to be committed to who I am versus what other people are prescribing for me. Totally. And then you eventually decided you wanted to become a pastor, right? Yeah. Yeah. That didn't happen. That was a wild (laughs) thing too. So yeah, by the time I got into high school, I, I mean, there was no script for that again, like just like there wasn't a script for my dad to be a pastor, mm-hmm. there was certainly not a script for a girl to do anything in the church other than volunteer to teach Sunday school to children or to make food for potlucks. And both of those sounded like special forms of torture to me. <laughs> yeah. And so I, that, there was literally no thinking. But I, I was 16 years old and I very clearly felt a calling from God that this is what I was supposed to do with my life is to invest my life into the next generation. And so I became a youth pastor, but um, when I was 16 and experienced that calling, amazingly enough, both of my parents were exceptionally supportive. 
and they they had enough i don't know if they had enough of a belief in me or enough of a belief in god or a combination thereof to support that decision and so i ended up going into full-time church work um when i was 18 years old and it was again i'd never seen anything like it before but the church that ended up interning at had women leading and speaking and doing all of the things that the boys do. Mm-hmm. And so I got, got to see a picture for myself of what was actually possible. And maybe that what had been taught to me theologically wasn't actually true, that maybe there was a broader theology. Maybe there was mm-hmm. more to who God was even than what I had been taught. And so it kind of blew open those frameworks for me to be able to explore like what else is possible? And then mm-hmm. what else maybe needs to be expanded or reconstructed from myself in order for me to experience and know more of God. Totally. So was this church that you were working at also a fundamentalist Christian church? No. Or was this different? No, it was non-denominational. It was mm-hmm. huge. It's That's actually one of the most probably famous churches in America. It's it, it's just ginormous. So I got to be this like little, little person in the system and got to find my way and figure mm-hmm. things out. And it really did open up for me a lot of perspective of what else is out there? Like my world was just so small mm-hmm. and to be able to have that worldview expanded, um, also expanded what I believed about God and what I believed about myself and what I be- believed was possible with the life that I get to live. So I had like just a little side note story. I had like a strange upbringing where I went to a private Catholic school, mm-hmm. but my parents went to Christian church. So I would have to, at school, do all the Catholic things, like confess my sins and attend church, like, at the campus, which was, you know, very, like, a colder, strict, Mm. stuffier environment where it's priests and you're singing these, like, really holy songs that are, like, kind (laughs) of questionable. But then on Sunday, I'd go to Christian church with my parents and there'd be, like, guitar players and, like, women singing in the choir and, like, a whole different vibe. And I remember just being exposed to both of those at the exact same time, Mm -hmm. feeling naturally drawn to the Christian side because I'm, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I am comfortable here. I feel like I can sing at the top of my lungs and, like, it's not so strict. Like, I'm not going to get in trouble today yeah. because of something yeah. I did. <laughs> like, yeah. It really is enlightening when you you get to see that it doesn't have to just be one way. Yeah. And then when you yeah. see the other side of it, you're like, wow, I feel so much more, like, naturally drawn to this. Like, mm. if my soul is, like, yeah. taking me in this direction. Yeah. So yeah. very cool too that you got to see the both sides as well when you were growing up, like this kind of stricter fundamentalist side and then being like, yeah. oh my God, there's women leading and I can actually like follow mm-hmm. my calling and mm-hmm. make an impact as a woman in the church. Yeah. Like that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I think at that point I really started understanding and believing that my gender wasn't a liability, mm-hmm. that it was a gift and it there was actually much more to who I was than what my roles were communicated to me to be. And so, I mean, that's, that's pretty life-changing. Totally, totally life-changing. And I know you also mentioned in your article that you did a lot of advocacy when you were Mm. in church, especially for like marginalized groups. Like what did that look like? So were you still, you were in Indiana at this? 
I was in Chicago, Chicago. at the beginning. Like first seven okay. years of my church experience was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's where Brian and I got married and mm-hmm. uh, we started our life together there. So yeah, we were in Chicago for a while. I ended up getting my undergrad degree while I was in that space too. So a lot happened in those seven years yeah. that really kind of opened me up. But part of what happened while I was there too was my husband is Puerto Rican, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. I'm Caucasian and um, we just started seeing like the world through a bigger eye, you know, than what we were experiencing. And we started also like looking at scripture in a way that was different from what both of us had been raised. He was actually raised Catholic as well, mm-hmm. you know, strong Puerto Rican family, Catholic roots. And, um, and we were just, there was a, an inconsistency with what we were seeing expressed in the church, with what we were seeing in the scriptures. And part of that, a lot of that was, the love and the care for widows and orphans, for the vulnerable, for the oppressed, for the marginalized. Um, I don't think we would have said it this way back then, but like we started seeing how racism and sexism and um, homophobia and that kind of stuff had really been defining of the church. Mm -hmm. And we just, we wanted more. And so we ended up moving to California in 2004. I took a position um, at a church here in Orange County and I spent 10 years at that church. And uh, when I got hired, I was the first, well, I was the second female pastor, but the first female pastor had stayed for like less than a year. And then she was gone. Like right after I came, she left. So I felt like I was the first female pastor. I was the youngest pastor and I was the only Caucasian. Um, it was very multi-ethnic church, but predominantly Asian. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like the trifecta of like the weirdo, uh, the misfit <laughs> and the outcast myself. And it was the first time that like I'd ever been all three of those things at the same time. I'd always been young and I'd always been the female. So like those two things were kind of the feeling like the outsider in a church Mm -hmm. space, but then throwing the racial ethnic part. And it was like, oh my gosh, I I don't know. First time in my life I've ever experienced like what it feels like to be totally on the outside of something. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was a really beautiful, healing, empowering place for me as a young leader. I was 25, you know, when I started there. And so the 10 years that I spent were very, this church was very committed to social justice and very committed to the world. And so during my 10 years there, we ended up starting churches in LA and North Orange County and Bangkok, Thailand and Mexico City and London, England. And um, I was a part of like a movement um, or an experience where our church started learning about what was happening in sub-Saharan Africa with the AIDS pandemic and the orphan crisis and took our first teams over to um, Africa to learn and to be able to serve in whatever ways that we could. So there was very much of a global heart Mm -hmm. and of going like, God loves the world, not like America. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that maybe that the places that we've got um, some gifts to give, we should give. And then there's also a lot for us to learn from these other places. Mm -hmm. And so it, that whole experience just changed me forever and um, really started like taking scripture seriously from a different lens of like, we're not the ones that are uh, like have the power or, but like where there is, we're blessed to be a blessing, you know? And so like, where are there places that we have blessing that we're supposed to be able to expand that and not hold on to it for ourselves, but also like there are really rich places. Then there's expressions of who God is and these other cultures and contexts and people that we desperately need. And mm-hmm. so uh, for us to be able to understand more of ourselves and understand more of God, um, we need to have eyes for the world and care for the world. So, yeah, it deeply changed me. 
forever grateful That's for that. Really, really, really cool. Did you get the opportunity to go to Africa? Yeah. Uh, oh, I think so I've been cool. four times now. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So part of the crazy cool story is because of what was happening in me and my husband's heart for Sub-Saharan Africa, um, a lot of that actually was even dovetailing with like what Bono was doing with U2 back in the day. Like <laughs> you're probably too young for that, but like he started the you know, product red and like it, there was a lot that was going on in Africa at that time and a lot of awareness of the injustices and the oppression and the marginalization. And so, um, Yes, my husband and I started like really digging into like what was happening, just become just educating ourselves, mm -hmm. really. And then going like, okay, what's our responsibility? What is what is the work that we need to do? And so um we ended up making a commitment to adopt from Africa. Um because there were like at that point 25 million orphans um from the AIDS pandemic specifically and just pretty like massive, but we're like we we have something we can do. So what's the thing that we can do? And that was one part of our commitment. And so we ended up adopting our two oldest kiddos from Ethiopia oh um, God, 11 amazing. years ago. Um, and yeah, our kiddos, that's again, a whole different podcast story. But yeah. I mean, our kids, that journey um, intrinsically changed us and helped us to see the world from a completely different lens than what we had up until that point. Oh my God. I, yes, you're totally right. Different podcast episode. <laughs> I have so like big. so many questions, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know that that was clear in the article that my kids two no. were uh, adopted and we're a very multi-ethnic family. So that's So then you have a third child that's not adopted. Correct. Yeah. So we brought home our two oldest kids mm -hmm. in January of uh, 2011. And pretty miraculously got pregnant nine months later. Oh, wow. And then he wow. came seven weeks early. So we went from zero to three kids in 15 months. Oh, my God. And, um, yeah, yeah. It, it was – it's a lot. Every time I tell that story, I just think, like, what the hell? Like, how the hell did we survive that? <laughs> we had three kids with trauma. Um, we had a three-year-old – three-and-a-half-year-old, a, a two-year-old, and a NICU baby. Um, so we just were, like, just – overwhelmed with children they were yeah. just everywhere yeah and oh my our gosh. life was out of control and then my husband got laid off from his job about the same time that i went back to work for my maternity leave um and so <laughs> yeah yeah our world is not bonkers i mean thank god you have a good connection with god because <laughs> like <laughs> those, those are the moments you really need to call him in <laughs> oh yeah yeah we had three rules this first probably 18 months of our family being all together and the three rules were um, get shit done, keep people alive, and love each other as best we can. And that was like, if we can do those three things on a mm -hmm. given day, like, we'll be all right. And thankfully, Brian and I had been married for a decade at that point. So we just barely looked at each other for about 18 <laughs> months. It was just keep, get shit done and keep these three people alive. And that was all we could do. And we had enough equity in our relationship to be able to survive that season. Oh my gosh. Wow. What? Yeah. So when I say about a 13, 11 and a nine year old, it sounds very normal. Um, but there's nothing normal about yeah. our family. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh my God. That's so cool. So, so, so cool. Love it. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, have like 3000 questions. I on know. Adoption I'm sorry. Process. No, it's oh okay. yeah. That's Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I know you had mentioned too in your article that you had like a bit of an awakening, a wake up call. Was that 
is that part of this advocacy work that like things like the light bulb turned on for you? Because I know that like at some point you had a calling to kind of like veer off and start your own thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Was that later or about the same time? Oh man. I I feel like my life is probably best defined by (laughs) just a series of pattern interruptions. (laughs) Like, these, these things that come up that it's like, oh, if you're paying attention in your life, those really probably are normative. Because as you are aware of what's happening in your life and in the world, things are going to need to get shaken up, you know, probably every couple of years. And so I, that's probably more accurate. I think there was some, in the 10 years that I was pastoring at that church, the advocacy, the, the social justice, the awareness of, of oppression and um, probably racially and socioeconomically, but then like with gender and, and sexuality, all of that stuff was kind of happening in sequence for me, but also simultaneously, like there was kind of these just rolling effects of how those awarenesses were coming up for me in my own life and how that was showing up for me in my life. And then what it would look like for us and our family and in the work that I did. And so, um, after about, eight or nine years of working in that church. Um, Our kids were all really little at that point. I think they were, um, oh gosh, they were two, four and five and a half when I left the church staff and kind of ventured out on my own for the first time in my life. And it was, so it was very scary, but there was, there was a sense in me of like, I had hit the ceiling of what I could do in that organization Mm -hmm. and that system. And I needed to explore what it would look like for me to do something outside of that. And I knew in my gut that it was going to be somehow connected to doing starting my own thing mm-hmm. um, because I'm a leader, because I'm a visionary, because I'm a communicator, because I have, you know, relational gifts and a love for the world. And I, I knew that somehow that was going to all come together, but I didn't know exactly how. And so I kind of was exploring for a few years, five years, actually the different ways that those things could come together for both my life and my leadership. And so I think one of the greatest gifts that I've given myself over the years is paying attention to my own story and paying attention to like both what God is doing in me, but also like the, the breadcrumb trails that have been left from day one. Mm -hmm. And as you're able to connect those dots, there is both a greater understanding of what to do with your life, but also um, more meaning that gets created for the here and now. Does that make sense? Totally. Well, I love something that you said about how you sort of were spending about five years kind of exploring what your options mm-hmm. were, what you wanted to nap, like, yeah, I guess veer your life towards. And yeah. I love that you gave this time frame because like, again, as I was mentioning earlier, I feel like so much of our society and our culture and the way we operate in life, we're always like putting a time frame on ourselves. Like I'm at this mm. age, how haven't I gotten here yet? Or I want to build this business and become successful, but it needs to happen in like a year. Like, right. and, you know, for example, podcasting, there's like 4 million podcasts out in the world. Like 3 million of them only have one year's worth of episodes. Because yeah. once the year is up and nothing's happened, people are like, well, I guess it's like not it for me. On to the next. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. so often we pressure ourselves to achieve something in like whatever. A nanosecond. 
Yeah, yeah. Whatever like we've determined success. like mm-hmm. needs to be done in, in order yeah. to be deemed successful. And so I just love the idea and like the celebration of like things take time. And Mm -hmm. even if it's five years of just like thinking about it, (laughs) like pondering it, because now you are you're you're doing things. So it's like allowing yourself the the right amount of time to really think about your life and where the path is headed for Mm -hmm. you and like exactly what it is that you want to accomplish just the patience and like sitting in that and experiencing mm-hmm. it and feeling it and allowing it mm-hmm. really pays off because it did for you. I mean, now you're kicking butt and you have your own business and, you know, your life journey has been remarkable and you've kind of just like taken it day by day and allowed things to unfold as they mm-hmm. are and just trusted it's part of the journey. And I think that's such a beautiful way to live because I think we live in a world now where like that's not it anymore or it isn't. A lot of people don't believe it is. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think it's in the quick, the now, like just like the Tinder, yeah. swipe right, right, swipe left. Yeah. Like things are yeah. just supposed to happen like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just not realistic at all. No, I, I mean, the best things in life really take a lot of cultivation. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, my marriage is amazing because we've devoted a whole bunch of effing time and e- energy and effort to make it amazing. You know, mm-hmm. like good, beautiful things don't happen accidentally. It, mm-hmm. it is, there is a faithfulness, there is a persistence, there is a deliberateness, there is a mm-hmm. like a steady plotting, like continue to put one freaking foot in front of the other and keep doing the right thing. And the exponential like multiplying effect that happens over time is what makes those things remarkable that we look at and go like, oh my gosh, I want that tomorrow. Well, right. no, it's because they spent 20 freaking years like making that happen, you know? And, and, and they're at the same time, like while you are in the waiting for the thing to happen, there's also stuff to be doing right now mm-hmm. because in the waiting is preparation and mm-hmm. in the waiting is the work that you are doing internally and externally in order for you to be able to receive the weight and the beauty and the power and the impact of what it is that you want, you know? And so sometimes things don't happen because you're not ready for them Mm -hmm. and you haven't done the work to actually receive it. And so if you aren't willing to like contribute and to participate in your life in that way, how in the world can you expect to hold something with that kind of power and beauty and amazingness Mm -hmm. down the road without it self-destruct or like killing you, you know, or Mm -hmm. destroying your life? So yeah, I could I could get on a massive soapbox about that part. I love but it. You you nailed it. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. It's so beautiful. I feel like I'm in that phase of my life right now where I'm like been doing things for a long time and then I'm like evaluating like I don't think I'm internally ready. And I actually had a conversation mm-hmm. with a different guest um who said something really like eye-opening to me about how one of her biggest fears of becoming successful is like the negativity that can come your way once you're seen like once you're out there and people see you and you're a person and you exist and you're doing this thing and there's all eyes on you Mm -hmm. it can bring this like flood of negativity and she had said that you know that was something that she thinks like subconsciously was really holding her back from like taking those steps because she was mm-hmm. afraid of the backlash that could come if people yeah. didn't like her and she had said um she had finally gotten her, her the woman i'm referring to is kira doyle she was um in a episode quite a few back but 
she had said that at one point in time she received her first like hate message from somebody out in the world you know who who even knows who they were and they right, sent her right. something that was like we don't like you or da, da 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 and she read it and like sat with it and then thought to herself you know like this isn't that bad like it wasn't that bad it wasn't yeah. like do i like that they sent this no but like did it kill me it didn't like mm-hmm. i can handle this and yeah. it was like the moment that she gave herself permission to like it, you know, it's worth it. Like, put yourself yeah. out there, take the steps, take the moves, because this fear that's holding you back isn't as bad as yeah. you maybe think it's going to be. I also think that for women and for what's happening in our culture right now, like, you know, being an influencer or having all of the likes or the follows or the hits or whatever, um, if that's our definition of success, mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty messed up definition, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm much more concerned about how are you living your life? Are you living in to its fullest capacity? Mm-hmm. Are you fully participating in your life? Or are you playing small and hiding mm-hmm. and you know listening to the negative beliefs that you've got about yourself or holding on to mindsets that are not serving you well? Um, at the end of the day, like those are way more important questions to ask and realities to live into than the dollars that are in the bank account and the number of followers that you have on whatever platform is mm-hmm. is currently the hottest, you know? And so I think defining for us what success is and holding on to that as like as an anchor and as a as a north star is really centering so that when the instant stuff doesn't happen or when we mm-hmm. don't have the outcomes that we anticipate, it it both anchors us and it still gives us a vision for the future. Oh, I love that. That's a beautiful, I love the idea of the North Star, like always having your eye on that thing and like continuing to move towards it regardless of roadblocks or hiccups or setbacks. Yeah, because then there's a hundred different ways for you to get to that place, Mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't have to be, it never is linear. I mean, I think anyone with half of an awareness about life like it's going like it's not just up and to the right like there are it's a hot mess of up and down and all around and so when you look at your north star you can get there a hundred different ways and some ways are going to be faster and some ways are going to be more efficient and some ways are going to be more direct Mm -hmm. and that takes some intention and some work for us to be able to do that well Mm -hmm. um but there's also life and there's also things like uh, a global pandemic where it completely messes up what you think is going to happen or how you're going to get there. Totally. Anyway. Well, and on that same note of like North Star and finding your way to where you want to be in life, you had told this beautiful story about your daughter that just like, oh my God, I like teared up when I read it. And I just thought that was like such a special, beautiful experience and just such an insightful way to like recognize what you want to do in life based off like the inspiration from something one of your children Mm -hmm. had said which is just Mm -hmm. like the most beautiful innocent thing in the world so I'd love for you to tell the listeners all about that Mm. yeah so after about those five years of kind of wandering and trying to figure out like what I'm actually going to do with my life it's not like a one thing like I'm not a pastor anymore you know I don't Mm -hmm. work for an institution that gives me a salary and benefits every two weeks um, what am I going to do with my life? And I had reached this point where it was pretty clear that I was going to need to start my business. And 
have a focus and actually build something. And um, God actually made it really clear to me one day, said, um, God said, you know, you have spent 20 years of your life building other men's visions. It's time for you to build the vision that I've given to you. And I was like, all right there, God, like, I hear you. That's, that's <laughs> legit. And, but I didn't know exactly what that was. And so I literally spent another year um, discerning, listening, putting the pieces together of my life, looking back, um, also healing. I had experienced a pretty major loss and betrayal. And I was very committed not to start anything new until I had uh, experienced some healing and I had forgiven the person mm -hmm. who had betrayed me. And um, I didn't want to carry that baggage in with me to start something totally. new. So, so in all of that, like I'd reached the point and it was March of 2019. And I had uh, determined at that point that I was, what I was supposed to launch and build and grow was a company called Azer and Co. And so I was trying to figure out like the timing of that and what I, I'd never started a business before. And so like, it, that's a whole thing in and of itself. And, uh, we we're heading into March and my daughter who was in, oh gosh, that was three years ago. So she was in third grade at the time, um, had to write a speech for school and give a little presentation. And it was supposed to be on a current event. And the day that she was supposed to give her speech was um, early March um, and March is Women's History Month. And the day she was supposed to give her speech was on International Women's Day. Well, I'm a woman and I didn't know that there was a whole month committed to us. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't know that there was a specific day for international women, right? Mm -hmm. To celebrate women all over the world. And my daughter is Ethiopian and, you know, I'm this white American girl. And uh, so I said, hey, babe, her name is Adesay. And I said, Addison, what if you wrote your speech on inter for International Women's Day? And she was like, huh? I don't know what that is. I was like, well, let's do some research. So she did her, you know, third grade, nine-year-old research. And um, she learned all this stuff. And, she, you know, her speech is four sentences long or something because she's third grade. <laughs> but she had finished it while we were driving in the car. And she's like, Mom, I finished my speech. Do you want to hear it? And I said, yeah. So I'm driving my minivan somewhere in Tustin and she reads the whole speech and the last line of her speech was um and international women's day is important because women are strong and powerful and have made a difference in this world i swear to you melissa like it's a miracle i didn't crash my car and i i just lost it i lost it my boys are in the car and i didn't say a word and she's like mom did you like it like what do you think and i'm like it's beautiful <laughs> And it was in that moment, my nine-year-old daughter was a little prophet to me. And God had said so clearly through her, now is the time to launch this company. And instantaneously, Melissa, like all of the excuses and all of the limiting beliefs and all of the reasons why this was not right came up for me. I didn't have a vision statement. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a financial model. I didn't have products and offerings. I uh, had barely owned a website. We had an Instagram account and that was it. Like nothing else. We, I didn't have a team. I didn't have value statements. I didn't, I had nothing. But my daughter said to me on this, in this month, on this day, that women are strong and powerful and have made a difference in this world. And so God had just pretty clearly said to me through her, you know, if you want to build a company that is for women and about women, why don't you join in the stream of what has already been happening with women throughout history, throughout the world? Why don't you join in with that? Because nothing you are doing is new. You're simply getting to join in and contribute to that work. And I was like, I'm in. So I'll look like an idiot. I have no idea what I'm doing. 
I'm going to, we're going to put stuff out there and we're going to start seeing what happens with that work. And so that was uh, almost three years ago. Wow. And Adise has continued to be a very strong voice for me. And again, kind of like an anchor and a North star for me of being a, a black girl in our country and our world, um, being a middle schooler, you know, like mm -hmm. to be able to, to see the world through her eyes and imagine like, what would it look like for us to build a company that both exists for her and something that she can see herself into. Totally. That is so cool. And I love that. Um, it's just a beautiful way to be a woman that's launching your own business. That's mostly centered around like empowering other women and mm -hmm. having your inspiration come from your young daughter. It's just like, mm -hmm. couldn't be the more beautiful masterpiece of a creation and a passion and like a, mm -hmm. a life's journey. It's incredible. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It's so beautiful. So tell everybody about your business. What do you do? What, what's it all about? Who are you serving? Like what kind of offerings do you have? All the yeah. things. Yeah. So her name is Azer and Co. Um, Azer is an ancient Hebrew word that is used in the book of Genesis in the Bible, uh, to actually describe women. So I've got the word literally tattooed oh on my, my God, arm. It's so it's, cool. It has been on my arm. This is the, it's hard to see, but this is the English. And then this is the, the Hebrew uh -huh. letters for it. And I've had that word tattooed on my arm for probably, I don't know, five or six years at least now. Mm -hmm. And I got the word because, because of how I was raised and the systems that I grew up in, I was taught that women were to be helpers and submissive and to be in support and service of men. And again, that never felt right to me, but that was what I was taught that the Bible said. Mm -hmm. And when I went to do my own research, I realized that that's not at all what that word means. In Genesis 2, when and God uses the word azer to describe woman, azer is actually, it's used 21 times in the Old Testament. Twice it's used to describe women. 16 times it's used to describe God. Oh, wow. So the very word that is used to describe God most of the time, Azer, in the Old Testament is actually used to describe women as well. Interesting. And it's most, most often it's translated as warrior, as rescuer, as strong helper, and as a face-to-face -face deliverer. And that flipped everything around for me. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, so I'm not supposed to be the sub supportive, submissive, subservient one. I am a warrior. I am a strong helper. I am in partnership and like the word that's used to describe God most often is used to describe me. So um, maybe that changes everything mm -hmm. <laughs> for how women are to show up in the world. So um, so the name Azer and Co is really significant for that reason. It's to so that women see themselves for who they truly have been created to be. And it's about a company of warrior women, you know, and we're about like helping women to live and lead with wholeness. So. We're primarily a coaching company. Um, coaching groups are the main thing that we do because we believe that transformation happens better together. And so when there's something in your life that you know you need to level up or you need to break through or you need to, you know, a goal that you need to achieve, the, gosh, the vast majority of the times that th those things are experienced is when you're in relationship with other women. So we have a six month online um, coaching group offering. We do some one-on-one -on -one coaching. We've got wholeness workshops that kind of do a deep dive for an hour in each of the six dimensions of wholeness for women. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a membership community that we just launched a couple of months ago to help women connect from all over the country, all over the world. Um, you know, that 
want more wholeness in their life and leadership and kind of need a, a, a deliberate space to be able to do that work and to connect with other women who want the same. So yeah, we got a, we got a few things going on these days, but it is, yeah, we are all about activating women to live and lead with wholeness. And I think when more women are doing that, our world will be a much more beautiful and whole place as well. Absolutely. So are you a one woman show or do you have anybody <laughs> that's like helping you run this? Like what does the business side look like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's part of why it's Azer and Co, right? Uh -huh. And the company, because I didn't want to start like the April Diaz show, right? <laughs> it, it was, I was not about like, I'm very clear on my limitations. I'm also very clear on the fact that I have three children and life is bonkers. So, uh, no, I have a team of people. We have a team of coaches that are trained and certified and experienced to coach other women into whatever their next level or their breakthrough or their goal is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've got, I've got my own coach uh, that helps us on the business side. I've got a marketing person that helps mm -hmm. us like on the spreading the word side of things. So it's very much a team effort because I, I'm really good at a few things, mm -hmm. uh, which means I'm not great at most things. So <laughs> the most things are where the team comes in and building a team, quite honestly, is my favorite thing in the world because again, like this company, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I want to be a part of a company of people that do great, beautiful things in the world. Um, when we do stuff together, there's a lot more power and transformation that happens. Very cool. So are there any major like learning lessons that stand out for you when you first started your business or even just, you know, you're into it three years now, like any standout moments that you think are would be enlightening for other people like say there's listeners right now who have wanted to start their own businesses or their own coaching programs any particular things that you tips mm. even advice things that you would like to kind of share based off your experience um of starting your own business from scratch and like how you yeah. said you had nothing lined up no, no financial plan no anything barely a website so any learning lessons you want to share <laughs> no none <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck, y'all suckers. Uh, no, I actually joke all the time. If there's anything else you can do besides being an entrepreneur, do it. Uh, this is unequivocally the hardest thing I have ever done. Uh, granted, 90% of the life of this company has been during a pandemic. Yep. And so um, I, I could not imagine a more difficult time to start a company. However, um, it's what I have to do. It's what I must do. It's like it, it, to not do it would be like both disobedient and foolish. So mm -hmm. that's probably the first thing is if there's anything else you can do, do it because it's really hard and it will demand all of you. And I, what I don't mean by that is like a hundred hours a week because I am very committed to living and leading with wholeness myself. So that would be the first tip is that uh, if you want to start your own business or if you are wanting to kind of navigate uh, a shift in your own life in 2022, I think what is most imperative is how you lead yourself mm -hmm. and what it is that you are committed to for your own growth and transformation, because that frames everything in terms of how it is that you're going to actually lead whatever it is that you're doing. Really closely coupled with that is the voices and the counsel that you put around you is of utmost importance. Um, First thing that I did um, was I formed an advisory board for Azer & Co. And I called up eight, uh, more than this, but we ended up uh, with eight women and men 
who were going to be voices of truth and of love and of correction and of counsel to me as I built this. Because mm-hmm. I, I told them, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. And so in that, like I, I believe that your plans rise and fall to both the systems that you have in your life and the people that you have in your life. And so that I've, I've never shied away from inviting people into like the truth of what is going on both for me and also for the company. So, you know, like I just met with my accountant two weeks ago and she knows all my numbers and she sees where everything is spent and where, how we're doing with our cash flow and our projections. And cause I'm like, I don't know I, numbers like, but I think you need to know your numbers if you're going to like own your business. You know, I've hired a coach that mm-hmm. I spend a lot of money on to like help me in my own internal journey. Mm-hmm. Um, list goes on and on in terms of, of those kinds of voices. But I think that that is something that has been really important in my own um, growth. And then I think maybe the last thing, because 90% of the life of our company has been in a global pandemic, um, is that plans um, both need to be created and need to be flexible to change. So a year ago, uh, I had had hired a coach that helped us to create a three-year strategic plan. Because I think, you know, a year ago, we kind of thought maybe we're heading out of this pandemic, Mm -hmm. you know, like... Once the winter ends, like we're going to start walking out of, of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so we had created a three-year strategic plan with three top priorities that we were going to achieve um, in the next three years. And we started walking down the road of, of actually doing that. And here we are a year later. And there's some things that like we have blown out of the water and have done really, really well in. And then there's other things that were like, oh, shit, <laughs> like, I, I think we're further behind now because we are now two years into this pandemic and things are still bonkers. And I don't know, you know, when the light at the end of the tunnel is actually coming. Yeah. And so in the flexibility of the plan of being able to release and go like, maybe this isn't the right thing or the right timing for right now. And if it's not right now, then there's something else. So mm-hmm. for me as a business owner, a question that I ask myself a lot is like, what if this isn't happening to me, but it's actually happening for me? That mindset allows me to not look at like brick wall after brick wall after brick wall, but to go like, okay, maybe I shouldn't keep running into the brick wall, but like turn over here and see if there's a door that opens or Mm -hmm. if there's a window that I can shimmy out of, or if there's like something I can scale up. So um, what if it's not happening to me, but it's happening for me has been really helpful for me, especially in two years that have been filled with a lot of disappointment as a Mm -hmm. business owner. Oh, man, I have to say you have an incredible mindset. And I'm over here like, how do I get such a healthy mindset? <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm I telling can't... you a lot of coaching and a lot of therapy. Yeah, right. I, I'm in the therapy. So good, hopefully good. that will come. <laughs> yeah, it helps a lot. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, one question I had. So with this pandemic and life being what it's like, are your coaching and programs and classes all virtual right now? Yeah, I mean, 90% of them are. Uh-huh. Um, our coaching groups are all online. They're all virtual, um, which, you know, at some point I'd love to bring back, you know, more of an in-person deal because Zoom has been so great, right? Like mm-hmm. we can see each other right now, we can connect and that's been beautiful, but there's nothing like the physical yeah. of being with someone and yeah. the energy in a room and all of that. So I hope that we'll be able to bring some of that back, um, but we are actually doing three mini retreats in the first couple of months of 2022 and real small, like 20 people in a room, Mm -hmm. half day retreat setting. 
but this is the first time that I'm doing anything in a room of people. Like I've spoken on stages with thousands of people, you know, like I have led retreats of hundreds and hundreds of people. And like, I've done a lot of work in larger rooms, but for like where we're at right now in the world, um, these little in-person retreats are really tiny, but for the sake of just, we feel like gathering is still important and Mm -hmm. we can do that in a safe way. And We'll do more of that in the future. But for now, yeah, yeah everything is virtual. Um, most things are on demand mm-hmm. uh, because our audience is pretty widespread as well. Awesome. And so um, I know you mentioned you have a couple of different offerings. Can you like tell us a little bit about like what those price ranges look like? Like if people are listening right now and they're like, oh my yeah. God, I'm so into this. Obviously they can go to your website and learn more, but any yeah. like quick facts that you want to throw out there just to get it in their minds and get that the juices flowing on yeah. when they're going to sign up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think the first best place to sign up it, it, or to explore what we're doing is follow us on social. You know, mm-hmm. if there's a – you'll you'll be able to tell pretty quickly, like, she's my kind of person, these are mm-hmm. this is my kind of women, these are my kind of groups, um, or not. And so follow us on social, at Azer & Co. Subscribe to our emails. Um, I send a weekly email that is totally committed to your wholeness. And so what it, every week we have, or every month we've kind of got a different focus of how is it that you can move forward in your wholeness journey. And obviously those are free. And again, they'll kind of give you a sense of like, is this the kind of people mm-hmm. in place that I like? Um, but our wholeness workshops are 29 bucks. They start at 29 bucks and they're one hour on demand, really low cost, mm-hmm. but high value. Like we yeah. want to give you something that is not, not content driven, but is action oriented. And we'll give you a way to actually move forward and to increase wholeness in your life and in your leadership. And they're in right now, our offerings are around the Enneagram, um, physical wholeness and renewal wholeness. And mm-hmm. we'll have all six of the dimensions built out before the first quarter of next year of 2022. But um, those are, uh, again, kind of a really great way to tip your toe in the water to see like, okay, is this something that I'm, I can resonate and jive with? Our Warrior Women membership community, I'm super stoked about because it's kind of like Facebook on crack to me. Like it's a it's a private membership community, and we're gonna investing a lot of our resources and our our man our woman power um, mm-hmm. into that community to be able to really help women that are like I I want to grow. I want to be the fullness of who I've been made to be. I want to make a difference in the world, you know, my life to have meaning. And so we're, we're committing a lot of space to that. And that's 15 bucks a month to be a part of that community. And there's, it's a lot of exclusive things that we do there that, again, we're kind of investing in. And then in terms of our coaching groups, this is our, our, it's our signature deal. I mean, it is what I am most excited about in terms of seeing transformation really happen for women. And so we guide you through a six month coaching journey um, with a group of women uh, with a one-on-one coach, I participate as a coach, as a trainer in that process. And our coaching groups right now through January 21st, we have them at 35% off. They're, nice. It's $249 uh, per month for the six months that you're in the coaching group. So um, super affordable. Uh, it's an insane amount of transformation that's available. It's mm-hmm. incredible content, but more than that, like the sisterhood and the one-to-one coaching that you get in that is, it's a freaking steal. I'll just say that. And it's, I'm really proud of that work. It's amazing. So cool. So exciting. I am like ready to join one of these groups that you have. Like I definitely need some wholeness in my life. So I'm going to be reaching out to you. <laughs> Do it. 
I probably start of 2022 and my new year new me energy well that's um, actually i just posted this melissa you need to go uh-huh. and it's gonna be late for listeners you can edit this if you want to but i just posted i am so sick of the bs about the new year uh-huh. new you, because who you wake up on january 1st is the exact same, same person. person that you went to bed <laughs> yeah know. the night before so don't buy that stupid lie <laughs> the only way that you get new things is when you do new things and mm-hmm. so i am really excited about the stuff that's coming up um the things that we're rolling out for 2022 in our community because i i do believe like after two years of this world that we've been living in i think that women are both exhausted and also sick and tired of what reality has been and we're ready to do something different um and coaching doesn't mean it's working harder it's a it's a there's a shift that takes place internally that opens things up for you um that you need to like be energized and to mm-hmm. be restored. And so that's what we are really committed to in our coaching. I love it. Yeah. When the pandemic started in 2020, I, my job went from like a hundred percent to like 25% and I had all this time. And so I was like, mm. so energized and excited and inspired to like, just throw myself into the podcast business. And like, I launched all these new things and I did all this new stuff. Like I was rolling with it. And then like when 2021 came in, I was like, oh my God, I'm so tired. (laughs) I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. And it felt that way the entire year. So I'm like, okay, so for 2022, I need to find a healthy balance of like getting the energy going, getting the ideas flowing, investing, but also allowing that space of like, Uh, internal rest because that's something that I'm not good at is like the healthy balance of like work hard and play hard and rest hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what if it's all not hard? Like that's the other thing, right? Like what if it's not working hard and playing hard and resting hard? What if there's actually an ease Mm -hmm. to all of that? Like Mm -hmm. that sounds way more appealing to me and I'm an intense person, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm a go getter. I'm a, I'm a challenger. Right. But (laughs) What if there's an ease to all yep. of that? And so one other, can I coach you yeah, for one second? Yeah, please. Another thing that you said is like, I'm really not good at that whole rest thing. What if instead you said, up until now, I haven't been good at rest. But from now on, mm-hmm. I'm going to practice a different way. I'm going to learn some new things. I'm going to do some things differently. Because our language defines both who we are and where it is that we go. And so when we say things like, I'm not good at rest, it's actually a self-fulfilling future prophecy as well. It's a it's a present progressive verbiage that you're actually using. Mm-hmm. And so it's even communicating to your brain, you're not good at this, Melissa. You suck at rest. You are perpetually ongoing, future-oriented, not good at rest. So then what's that do? It helps you continue to not be good at rest. Yep. Instead of saying, up until now, this is true, right? Like you can hold the space for the truth uh-huh. of what actually has been reality, but creating a distinctive of like, from now on, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to rest well or with ease, or I'm going to practice this more, or mm-hmm. it, it creates a distinctive moment between past and future in this present moment. Oh yeah. And like, I recognize those things in myself too, where I'm like, oh, I don't have the time or, oh my God, I have so many things to do. I can only do this, this, and this. Yeah. Or like, I can't exercise today because I don't have the time to drive from here to there. It's like always a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, I just got this uh, Apple watch for Christmas. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've never had one before. And 
I, my friend was like telling me all about the rings and this and that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, let me figure out these rings. And then I was like, just saying to my boyfriend last night, cause I've closed them three days in a row. And I was Hold like, on. who says I can't exercise for 30 minutes a day? Like that's yeah. like a ridiculous thought that like I yeah. can't spend 30 minutes right. in an entire day to do yoga or to go on a walk or to jump on my spin bike that's collecting dust in the garage for a year. Like yeah. 30 minutes? I seriously yeah. cannot find of your day. 30 minutes. Like the, when you think about it, that is so ridiculous. That is yeah. the most ridiculous thing in the world. But yeah. I've been th believing that for like months yeah. now. Oh, I don't have time to exercise. Really? <laughs> Yeah. That is so obnoxious. So I'm like really yeah. working on this mindset thing of like, mm -hmm. that's not true. I can mm -hmm. do things. Yeah. And it's just like making the commitment and creating the time for it and just doing it. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping. Speaking of our Apple watches, mine just told me to stand. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> yeah. It's like time to stand, April. <laughs> Mine's, my Siri is listening to me right now. Oh, right. Can we lift it up and then it talks to you? Yeah. No, I I applaud you for that. It is. Trying. There's so much mindset stuff that yeah. you can do that opens up possibility. Absolutely. So one last huge question for you. It's the question I ask all of my uh, guests on the show. Pretty straightforward. We're Mimosa Sisterhood. We like to celebrate women's stories with glasses of bubbly. It's a little early for that today. So I actually been putting a little Baileys in my coffee. But I almost did that. And then I was like, oh, I need it. I don't know if my words will start getting slurry. <laughs> so on that note, I just love to ask the women on the show, what does sisterhood mean to them? And really, it can be anything. But I know within your business, it's all around sisterhood. So would just love to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I love it. We talk about sisterhood all the time in our work. And relational is one of the six dimensions of wholeness because we were created for relationships with each other. And so I think when I think of sisterhood, actually, some of my first thoughts are actually around how sisterhood has been hard for me. Mm -hmm. um, some of that is because of who I am, how my personality is, what my gifts are like, and how that hasn't been always accepted. And like girlfriends have just been difficult for me. I've always been around guys more. I have brothers, you know, I work in male dominated spaces. Those relationships have always been easier for me. So that's the first thing I think of is like how mm -hmm. sisterhood has been difficult. Um, and then my next very immediate thought is, but it's also been like a lifesaver for me. It's been a game changer for me. And I can list for you probably two handfuls of names of women in my life who are presently, currently rocking my world. Um, and so I think of sisterhood as like belonging to one another and that like we are all sisters um that it's not blood related it's and it's not even it's it, it's not related by a lot of the things that we probably would restrict it to but like we all belong to each other you know like you you are my sister by the nature of like that you are a woman too you know like we just belong together so there there's kind of even as i'm like stumbling over my words in that it's because there is a, a measure of like awe and wonder and like mystery of how it is that people that can be so different who have different, you know, ethnicities or races or backgrounds or beliefs or families or whatever, how you can still belong to each other. And there's something really holy about that to me, that sense of belonging and um, holding of each other in spaces where they're difficult or where they are um, changing and ebbing and flowing. So that feels like just one of the greatest sisterhood feels like one of the greatest gifts in my life. 
I love that. And I so agree. Like, sisterhood, like, historically has not always been the most positive thing in my life at all, Mm -hmm. especially going through different stages of schooling and, you know, being in your early 20s and making friends who, like, are no longer friends. And just it's a it's been a journey, to say the least. But I think, like, one of the biggest things I've been trying to do just with the podcast is to share women's stories from Mm -hmm. all generations and all walks of life from people in the past as well as you today on the podcast and it's just having the opportunity to see what that looks like what those experiences are like i feel like it humbles us and it's such a like friendly reminder that we can all be so different but we are all one and Mm -hmm. we should really use each other as support yeah Yeah, it is one of the greatest gifts. And it's something that's worth fighting for, even Mm -hmm. if there has been betrayal or disappointment or hurts from another sister. um, That isn't definitive. And like, that's not an ending. There's not a finality to that, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's, there's more that can exist. So yeah, yeah, I, I would encourage women that are listening and going like, I've been there, done that. And that's been hard. And I'm sick of women or whatever, like 2022 can be a new opportunity to build that, foster it, grow it, because it can be one of the most healing and powerful experiences of your life. Absolutely. Well, any last thoughts, words, things we didn't cover that you wanted to squeeze in before we head (laughs) out of here? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. I love what you're doing here. I mean, there's, I mean, I'm a big fan of bubbly in general. (laughs) So the mimosa part, you had me at mimosa. Um, and then the sisterhood, obviously, like telling stories of, of women that are doing beautiful things in the world, I hope inspires your listeners. Mm-hmm. And I hope that it challenges them, that it doesn't create like a insecurity or competition of like, mm-hmm. oh, what am I doing with my little stupid life? Mm-hmm. But really like the sense of like, step it up. Like mm-hmm. you get to live this one life that you've been given. And so live it fully, you know, don't hide, don't play small, don't create excuses, don't look at what she's doing and compare it like you do you. And when you do, really beautiful things happen in the world. And we need so much more of that. So thanks for your contribution in that way to this space and hosting people like me. Of course. And thank you so much for being on the show. It was such an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Really quick before you go, tell everybody where they can find you, Instagram, website, any other social medias that you have or email even, like how they can sign up for the newsletter, all of the things. Yep. So azerandco.com, E-Z-E-R and co.com is our website. Everything is linked there, Um, but we're most active on Instagram. So our handle is at azerandco there. Um, yeah, those would probably be the two easiest places to kind of get started and see what we're up to and how you can be a part of it. Perfect. I'll make sure to link everything in our episode description so they can do a quick click. Awesome. And other than that, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure chatting with you on this kind of ugly uh, Wednesday morning. The rain is coming, girl. The rain is here. The rain is here. (laughs) But I seriously thank you so much. I so appreciate your time. And I'm so appreciative of you sharing your story with everybody. There's so many listeners out there that are tuning in. And I have no doubt that they loved every minute of learning about you and hearing all of your beautiful mindset and perspective on life. And I really hope everybody who has been striving for a little extra push will go to your website and check out your coaching programs. I absolutely am. 
awesome. Um, I'm so here for it. So just thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today. Thanks, Melissa. Hugs and kisses. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. If you can think of one person out there in the world that would absolutely love this episode and feel so inspired by April's message, please be sure to send it to them. You can send it via text message, via email, or simply reshare my Instagram posts to your stories. I love you guys so, so, so much, and I'll see you on the other side. Bye.